Well, friends, good morning. It's good to be gathered together again. It's good to be studying God's Word together again. If you have a Bible in front of you, I encourage you to have it open at these verses that Deborah read for us, these verses from Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6 and verses 27 through 36. We're thinking this morning about the fruit of the Spirit being kindness, and these verses will help us to unpack a little bit about what it means for the fruit of the Spirit to be kindness. The news last week brought us the sad details of the inquest into the death of reality TV presenter Caroline Flack. It emerged that Caroline Flack took her own life as she awaited trial for allegedly assaulting her boyfriend. But one of the things that the inquest brought out for us was the role that the media had played in the deterioration of her mental health. It was felt that all of the negative stories put out about her, all of the, the nasty things that were said about her, led ultimately to the, the deterioration in her mental health and ultimately, sadly, led to her suicide. In the days following her death, there was a, a campaign launched on the social media platform Twitter using the hashtag BeKind. This followed on from one of Caroline's uh, Instagram posts that said that in a world where you can be anything, be kind. The whole point of the campaign was to get people to think about how their words and actions impacted others, was to think about how their words may lead to someone feeling depressed, about how their actions may lead to someone ultimately taking their own life. In short, it was a campaign to try and get people to think about being kind. But as we come to think about this biblical idea of kindness, as we come to think this morning about one of the fruit of the Spirit being kindness, we see that actually the biblical idea of kindness is much more than that. You see, the biblical idea of kindness isn't just not saying something nasty about someone. The biblical idea of kindness isn't just ignoring people who we happen to disagree with. The biblical idea of kindness is loving those who hate us. The biblical idea of kindness is being and doing good to those who oppose us, is praying for those who curse us. The biblical idea of kindness means loving even our enemies, as God in Christ Jesus has loved us. I want to think about three things and see three things from this section this morning. Firstly, we want to see how kindness is other-focused. Kindness doesn't focus on ourselves. Kindness, we aren't kind to make ourselves feel good, but we're kind to others. Secondly, then, we want to see how kindness is countercultural. Jesus reminds the, the people who are listening to him here that the, the call to kindness isn't just a call to love those who love them, but it's a call to love even their enemies. But then thirdly and finally, we want to see how kindness is an attribute of God. So firstly then, kindness is other-focused. Kindness is other-focused. And we see that in verses 27 through 31. We're breaking in here into this section in Luke's Gospel. We're breaking in here into this section in Luke chapter 6. And they're familiar words to us, aren't they? They're, they're familiar words perhaps even to us from the so-called Sermon in the Mount on, in Matthew chapter 5. And the whole purpose of this teaching is to show people what belonging to God's kingdom will look like. It's to, to show people what being a follower, being a disciple of Jesus Christ, will mean for their everyday lives. It's to show people what having Christ as Lord means day to day to day. 
And as we come to verse 27 then, we notice that kindness is other focus. What does Jesus say? Verse 27, I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who oppose you. You see, kindness here is focused on other people, not on ourselves. Kindness looks to others, not just ourselves. But notice what it is that Jesus says. I think we can understand mentally that kindness is others-focused. But notice who those others are that Jesus says we are to love and to care for. Our kindness isn't focused on our friends. It isn't focused on our family. Our kindness isn't even focused on our brothers and sisters in church. But rather, Jesus says, our kindness, our love, should be focused on those who, verse 27, are our enemies. Our kindness should be focused on those who hate us, verse 27. We see then how the call to follow Jesus is a call to love others. The call to follow Jesus is a call to be kind to others. Our call to follow Jesus is a call to love even our enemies. You see, friends, what's our natural response to our enemies? Our natural response to our enemies is to hate them. What's our natural response to those who curse us? Our natural response to those who curse us is to curse them right back. But Jesus says, no, being a follower of me, being a disciple of me will be different. That may well be how you used to live. That may well be how the Old Testament did things, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But following me, being in my kingdom, being a disciple of me, means fundamentally that you love your enemies, that you pray for those who persecute you. Being in my kingdom looks like loving your enemies. It looks like doing good to those who oppose you. And you see, friends, this is why we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because left to ourselves, none of us would ever choose to do this. This is why we need the fruit of the Spirit, because our natural desire is so opposed to this. Our natural desire, as we said a few moments ago, our natural desire is to curse those who curse us. Our natural desire is to get our own back on those who wrong us. We can't bless those who curse us. Naturally, we hate them. But Jesus says, love them. Love them. And it's only in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can achieve this. When the Holy Spirit causes that fruit to grow within us, when the Holy Spirit applies that, that truth of Christian teaching to us, that we can do that. We can't do it on our own, but we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus continues, verse 29, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. Literally, this might read, to the one who punches you in the face, don't stop him from doing it again. It wasn't a, it wasn't a kind of light slap on the cheek. You know, it wasn't a, a, a playful little slap. It was a punch. Jesus continues, to the one who takes your cloak, to the one who takes your, your coat, we might say today, to the one who takes your outer garment, don't stop there. Give him also your tunic. Give him also your vest. Now, the danger with this is that it sounds 
a little bit wet, doesn't it? It makes Christians sound as if they become the doormat of society, doesn't it? So what's Jesus getting at? What does Jesus mean here in Luke chapter 6? Well, again, it comes down to the idea that our kindness is other-focused. Our kindness is focused on others, not ourselves. You see, we won't insist on our rights being met. We won't insist on our rights being paramount. But rather, we'll show kindness to others. Rather, we'll go the extra mile for others, even those who hate us. I'm sure you've all seen the adverts or, or had that annoying phone call in the middle of dinner pick up the phone and what does the, the, the person say? Have you been injured in an accident that wasn't your fault? Then you might be entitled to compensation. What's the point? Well, this compensation is what you're entitled to. This compensation is yours by right. It's yours as a result of the injury that occurred. And you see, the people that Jesus would have been preaching to would have been entitled to strike back if struck. The people that Jesus was, was preaching to would have been entitled to keep their tunic for their own warmth and for their own comfort and protection from the cold. But Jesus says, no, rather, don't do that. Don't retaliate. Instead, give generously. Give freely. If they want your cloak, give them your tunic. So what does this mean for us this morning? Does this mean that Christians shouldn't join the army? Does this mean that, that Christians shouldn't resist if anyone tries to take their personal property? Of course not. Think about all of the positive soldiers who we meet in the Gospels, in the, the, the Bible. Think of Cornelius, that man in Acts. That good man who sent for Peter. That good man who was sensitive to the leading of the, the Holy Spirit. At no point is it recorded that it was a bad thing that he was a soldier. Think about that soldier at the foot of the cross who declared truly, as Jesus died, who declared truly that this man was the Son of God. Think about all the references in Paul's letters to the civil magistrate bearing the sword. Bearing the sword of judgment, the sword of protection. Think about Jesus Christ himself, who was so incensed by the practices at the temple, who was so incensed by the, the, the money changers and the cattle sellers at the temple, who made a, a, a whip of cords and drove them out. So what does this passage mean then? What's Jesus getting at here in Luke chapter 6? Well, what he's getting at and what it means for us is that it's against retaliation for retaliation's sake. It's against retaliation just so that your rights have been met. It's against retaliation just so that you can feel a little bit better about yourself. It's against thinking of yourself as more important than another. Finally then, we see the golden rule of kindness, don't we? The golden rule of other-centered kindness, verse 31. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. So kindness is other-focused then. Kindness is focused on the other rather than the self. But secondly then, we want to see how kindness is countercultural. Kindness is countercultural 
And we see that in verses 32 through 34. We see how kindness is countercultural in verse 32, because what does Jesus say? Well, look, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. Even people who have no thought for God, even people who have no idea, no, no desire for God, even they love people who love them. Again, he continues, look, if you do good to those who do good to you, then what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do that. What Jesus is saying here is that's how the world operates. That's how culture operates. Somebody does good to me, so I'll do good to them. Somebody loves me, so I'll love them. It's the old sort of, I'll scratch your back if you scratch my back idea. And that was exactly how the world worked. I, I, as most of you probably know, I used to work in Sainsbury's. I was a, a, a team leader on the checkouts in Sainsbury's. And what would happen is that uh, every day you'd gather and try and figure out uh, how many checkouts you could have open on that particular day. Did you have enough to cover the lunch rush? Did you have enough to cover breaks and that sort of thing? And what would happen is that if you didn't have enough, you'd have to, to barter with other managers, other department heads, to try and get enough staff hours. And that's what it would come down to. Look, I'll give you staff to cover the lunch rush. I'll give you staff to cover your breaks if you give me staff to help fill the shelves later on when the store's quiet. If I do a good turn for you, you'll do one for me. If I help you out, then you'll help me out. And that's how the world operates. But the obvious implication that Jesus is drawing out here is that to be a follower of his, to be a part of his kingdom, is different. It operates differently from the world around us. The obvious implication that Jesus is drawing out here is that if we're in his kingdom, that if we're following him, then we don't just love those who love us. We don't just do good to those who do good to us. There's something profoundly countercultural in being a Christian. There's something profoundly different in being a follower of Jesus Christ. It doesn't just mean that we love those who love us. It's what we thought about already, in a sense, isn't it? We thought about how uh, kindness as a Christian was profoundly other people-focused. Kindness as a Christian was focused on loving our enemies, on praying for those who persecute us, does good to those who hate us. You see, friends, it's easy to love the people who love us. It's easy to do good to the people who do good to us. Hopefully, this morning, it's fairly easy for you to love your husband or your wife. It's fairly easy for you to love your parents, your kids. Why? Because they love us and they're for us. But yet, what about that work colleague? That work colleague who's always seeking to deride Christian things. That work colleague who's always seeking to come up with clever answers and arguments against the truth of Christianity. Do you love them? What about that person in the cycling club who seems to have it in for you for no real reason at all? Do you love them? What about that lady in the hairdressers who is always the first one on with the gossip in the town? Do you love them? You see, friends, it's easy to love the people who love us. 
It's easy to do good to the people who do good to us. But what we're called to as Christians is to be profoundly countercultural, to love those even who hate us, to do good to those who oppose us. What about that homeless drug addict who sleeps under the bridge? May not have much to offer us in worldly terms. But do we love him? Will we care for him? The rest of the world may walk past. The rest of the world may want nothing to do with him. But as Christians, do we love him? Do we care for him? Christianity is countercultural, friends. The culture of today says, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. But Jesus calls us to love those who even who hate us, to do good to those even who curse us. Christian kindness is countercultural. But thirdly and finally, we see that kindness is an attribute of God. Kindness is an attribute of God. And we see that in verses 35 through 36. You see, the danger with everything I've said so far is that it can sound a little bit like moralism. You know, that we need to try harder to be kind. That we need to make the world around us a better place by being kind. That we need to try harder to be nicer people. But actually, this final point helps us to see that kindness, that our kindness, that Christian kindness, flows not out of a sense of moralism, flows not out of a sense of trying to be better people, but our sense of Christian kindness flows fundamentally out of who God is. It flows out of what God has done for us in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that in verse 35, don't we? But love your enemies, Jesus says, and do good and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Why? For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. You see, that's the fundamental difference between moralism and the gospel. That's the fundamental difference from hashtag be kind and the gospel. You see, moralism says to us on the one hand, we should be kind because it will make society a better place. We should be kind because it will make the world a much nicer place to live in. We should be kind because it will make public discourse so much more pleasant and bearable. Yet the gospel says that we should be kind. The gospel says that the, the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. Why? Because of who God is. Because God is kind to the unmerciful and the ungrateful. The gospel says that we should be kind because we long to be conformed more and more to the image of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. He was merciful and kind and good and loving even to his enemies. We aren't kind to make society a better place. We're kind because it reflects the God we serve. We aren't kind to make the world a happier place. We're kind because it reflects the heart of our Savior. That's the difference. 
Moralism in some senses says be kind for yourself because it will make people think better of you because it will make you seem better. But the gospel says be kind because it's who God is. Now it's easy to say that kindness is an attribute of God. But if we go out into the wider world, if you talk to your non-Christian friends, your non-Christian colleagues about God, I think the chances are that kindness would be fairly low down their list than the attributes of God. You'll probably have an angry God. You'll probably have a judgmental God. You'll probably have a harsh God. But kindness would be fairly low down the list of non-Christian people's attributes of God. But let's think about this from Scripture. Let's see God as merciful and kind. So how's kindness seen as an attribute of God? Well, first of all, let's think about God made flesh. Let's think about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. Let's think about Jesus Christ who prayed for those who persecuted him. Who, as he was dying on that cross, cried out, What? Father, forgive them. For they knew not what they do. Here were his enemies. Here was the ultimate test of his obedience. And what does he pray? Not, Father, bring your righteous judgment and wrath down on them. Not punish these wicked sinners for what they've done, but rather, Father, forgive them. Kindness seen in God. In that it was while we were yet enemies of God. It was while we yet shook our fists in God's faces. It was while we yet told God that we wanted nothing to do with him. While we were yet enemies of God, that Christ Jesus came and died for the unrighteous. Truly this morning, friends, God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Think about those other kindnesses of God that we read about, how the the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike, that the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. Think about the kindness of God in delaying judgment until the full number of believers is reached. Truly, friends, God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. If this is the God we love, if this is the God we serve, if this is the Savior we follow, then truly this morning we should want to be kind. Not as morality to save ourselves, not as morality so that other people think, well, aren't they kind people? Rather, we're kind because it's a reflection of the God we serve. Rather, we're kind because it's a reflection of the Savior that we have. The God who was good to us. The God who was kind to us even though we didn't deserve it. If the Holy Spirit truly dwells inside each of us this morning, then we will be kind. Because he is kind. Amen.